Hello fellow horror fans, and welcome to another episode of The Haunting Hour. I'll be your host, Gray. Over the next few weeks, we'll be doing a series dedicated to summer and the joys of going to summer camp. Do you remember the joys of going somewhere different, fun, and exciting? You got to experience life for the first time without being around your parents, right? There was hiking, crafts, swimming, canoeing, staying up late and giggling in your bunk beds with your friends. But let's not forget my favorite part, campfire stories. There was crackling fire all around you. The smell of burnt marshmallow. Laughing nervously with your friends because of the spooky tales you're about to hear. And let's face it, everybody likes to be just a little bit scared. But this camp is a camp like no other. Welcome to Camp Crystal Cove. We have the finest amenities, gourmet food, plenty of activities for everybody of all ages. And tonight is a real treat. It's our annual Campfire Stories where people gather from around the world to sit and listen to some of these legendary tales. But there's a bit of a catch to coming and listening to these stories. Some say it's just a myth, while others swear by this camp's sinister intentions. They say that Crystal Cove is cursed, Those brave enough to sit around the campfire and listen to the tales must carry the burden of possibly having these tales happen to them. Some even say that you're possessed and end up harming or killing your family, loved ones, even yourself. So listen to these stories at your own risk. After all, It's just rumors, right? Hmm, probably. And as staff of Crystal Cove, I want you to enjoy your time and really get the full adventurous spirit of the place. So gather round, friends, and ready yourself for a night that's unlike any other. Let our stories begin. Oh, but we do have Just one roll around the campfire. Whatever you do, don't close your eyes. Our first story is about a lone retail worker who enjoys her job, but not always the customers. Hey, we've all been there in some form or fashion, right? But soon this mundane life turns into something that gives the word weird a whole new meaning. And now we slip into our first tale, The Incident at Harvey's Supply House. I 
stabbed a customer today. Where do I even begin? I work in retail, so believe me when I say, I've had some real dickheads stroll into our store. I mean, I've fantasized about it before, sure, but I never actually acted on it. That is, until today. I don't know why I'm confessing this to you. I should have just called the police. Their family is probably worried sick. I should explain. At least before I call the police on myself and get all of this over with. Hey look, in my defense, the customer was definitely wrong. I don't mean that in a sarcastic way, like, haha, the customer is always right, except today he was wrong. I mean, he isn't normal in any way. Maybe I'm not explaining myself right. Here, let me just tell you what happened. I work in a small home improvement store. We aren't as huge as our competitors, but we manage to stay open and have many regulars that come in. In fact, they've pretty much been what's kept us alive over the years. When I say we work with a skeletal crew, it's pretty much just me and the manager. We put in something like 60 plus hours a week, but the pay is worth it. Since there's only two of us, he's able to pay me way more than normal retail. So I've always really loved my job. I help homeowners with their DIY projects and, you know, go home with a real sense of pride. I've always had a soft spot for helping them save money, you know, or giving them advice. Granted, you always tend to get a few that make you question humanity, but most of them are great. They're good-spirited, you know? But I digress. Today I had to open the place myself and run it. Jean was really feeling ill. I knew it had to have been something really bad because he never misses a day. That man pretty much lives and breathes this company. He's never had kids or a wife and he has to be pushing at least 60. I just managed to open the store when two of my regulars greeted me at the door. Hey, Anna, Miss Keller said, smiling up at me. I grinned as I held open the door. Hi, Miss Keller. How are your new feeders working out? Absolutely wonderfully. You know, I saw a bee hummingbird the other morning. The tiniest little thing. You would have just died, she gushed as she stepped in. As a matter of fact, she dug through her purse before pulling out her phone. I've actually got a few pictures. She flipped through her gallery. I tried my best not to laugh as she scanned through all of her photos. She was doing it the way most old people do by going through all of them instead of just going from her main gallery and selecting it. Mr. Keller rolled his eyes, muttered a question about paint, and I pointed him over to the aisle he needed. He nodded and shuffled away. 
He isn't much of a talker, but for all of his gruffness, he adored how his wife fussed over things. Even his eye roll was met with a slight grin and wink. They were a joy. We were both excitedly looking at the little guy when the doorbell sounded. My head shot up and I smiled warmly at the man that stepped in. My smile faded slightly, but I quickly recovered it and called, Good morning, sir. Can I help you? He paused, then glanced across the store before finally looking at me. We were 10 feet from each other, but even from there, I could tell that his eyes were the wrong color. Even his skin looked waxy, as if he were wearing a skin suit. In addition to his eyes not being a color I've ever seen before, they were also looking in almost every direction at once. It reminded me of a chameleon. He took a step toward me, sniffed, and then kept his distance. Yes, he said. I would like to purchase a... He paused, his eyes looking up to the right, then down to the left before continuing. A pink flowering plant. He swallowed thickly, like it took a ton of effort. A hibiscus, he added quickly. His voice sounds like he needs to clear his throat, like phlegm bubbling in his lungs. I blinked a few times before I caught on to what he was asking for. Oh, a hibiscus? I asked. He blinked once, cocked his head to the side, and then nodded. Quick to be through with this odd encounter, I point to the back of the store. Walk all the way to the back and through those double doors. Our garden is outside. The hibiscus are out in the middle. I smiled briefly and then turned back to Mrs. Keller. She was staring after the man as he disappeared into the back. Only after he wasn't visible did she move back toward me. I wasn't sure but her smile seemed a little colder than usual. Before I could talk more with her, she excused herself and walked out the front door. I expected the strange man to return shortly, but Mr. Keller had long paid for his paint and left before I really started to wonder if something had happened. You see, there's only one way in and one way out. So I knew he hadn't left the store. I'm not supposed to leave the registers unattended, even though both of them are automatic at this point. But I also needed to restock a few things this morning. So I did what anyone would have done in the situation. Maybe he was just browsing and I'm being crazy. Just let things be, you know? I walked back to the double doors pushed my way in and froze. He was right there, a few feet from the door, staring out of the garden. His back was turned to me, 
but since I'd opened the door, I thought he might turn or even acknowledge me. He didn't. In fact, he wasn't moving at all. Not even a sway or breathing. It was like a statue made of glassy flesh. Not wanting to spook him, I cleared my throat. <clears throat> um, sir, can I help you with something? I hated how small I sounded, how frail and pathetic. You like to think you're strong and capable, but when something like this confronts you, all of that flies out the window. He didn't budge. A rustle sounded in the back of the garden near the potted plants. I jumped and held my breath, staring over at them. I relaxed when nothing else happened. I let out a sigh and turned back toward him. I cursed and nearly fell on my ass. He was looking right at me. While that may have elicited some sort of response, no matter what, it wouldn't have been the reason I lost it like I did. Especially if this was a normal guy. His head was upside down and backwards. His neck was bent like a goddamn pipe, stretched long and thin. Impossibly thin. The head had two glassy eyes, a deep gray-green color made up of thousands of tiny, luminescent, worm-like things. They wriggled, soundlessly climbing one on top of the other. The mouth was blackness devoid of anything that I could see. Just a black, endless pit. Even with the thing directly looking at me, it made no other movement. Not even a step. It remained completely still. I eased back, pulled open the door, and crawled back into the safety of the store. As soon as the doors were back together, I locked them in place. I wasn't sure what to do next, but I knew that I needed to get away and to not let whatever that was back there in the store. I ran to the front and grabbed my cell phone frantically dialing Jean's number. He picked up on the second ring. Oh, thank God, dependable Jean. Hey, Anna, is everything okay? He sounded worried. My voice stuck in my throat as I thought what I could possibly say. A monster? A man that was a monster? Who in their right mind would believe that? I have no idea why I'm even calling Jean. How can he help anyway? As a matter of fact, the police definitely wouldn't. 
There's a man, I offer feebly. Jean coughs and sniffs before answering. His voice sounds strained. Is he bothering you, honey? Do you need me to come up there or call the police? I instantly feel guilty. Jean is really sick and he sounds worse than he did this morning. I'm coming off like some whiny, scared little girl. I glance back at the double door still locked in place. What had I really seen? Was my mind just playing tricks on me? It's okay. I think he's gone, I heard myself say. Jean coughed again. Okay, sweetie. <clears throat> but if he comes back, you just lock up the store and call the police, alright? I thank him and hang up the phone. What was I doing? Monsters? Come on. I'm 24 years old. These type of things don't exist. I convinced myself to walk back there and open the door. I wished I hadn't done that. The man was gone. I mean, I checked the entire garden, behind all the trees, under the shelves, and behind the counter. My first thought was that maybe he had hidden behind the door and then slipped into the store, but that didn't make any sense because there was a wall right next to them. After searching the entire store, I knew that he had to have slipped out. I just don't know how. The rest of the day went by uneventful and a few more of my regulars had come in. 5 p.m. couldn't have gotten there any slower, but at last, it was time to leave. I thought of the man off and on throughout the day, but nothing more than a few uncomfortable feelings. It wasn't until I locked the door and started counting the registers that it really started to bug me. I'm not sure why I was feeling nervous. Nothing really seemed out of place. The feeling hit me harder as I grabbed the cleaning supplies. You know, that feeling you get when things are just off? Like something bad is about to happen. Well, I was in full on panic mode by the time I reached the closet in the back. It didn't help that it was less than five feet from the double doors. My chest tightened and my breath quickened as I reached for my gloves. I barely got them on when I heard a scraping sound coming from the front. It was all the way back by the registers. I paused, listening for the sound again. When nothing sounded, I released the breath I was holding and glanced warily at the hedge trimmers. I knew I needed to trim some of the shrubs and flowers, but they could hold off until later. I just wanted to get the cleaning done and get the hell out of there. Hello, miss? 
I'm not proud to admit this next part. It wasn't my best moment in snap decisions or the best reaction. I jumped and screamed, grabbed the trimmers and drove them into his stomach. My eyes were squeezed shut and I didn't open them again until I heard the thud. That's when I realized my horrible mistake. It was a man, but it wasn't him. He wore the same face, but his eyes were a soft green instead of the mucus-colored ones from before. He's even in the same shirt and jeans, but there's no unearthly aura or malice. It's just a man lying dead on our floor. I keep going over it again and again. The only thing that makes sense in my mind is that I forgot to lock the front door or I somehow missed him from before and he was hiding. I want this all to be a dream. A horrible, awful dream. But he is still there, staring up at the ceiling with his mouth and eyes twisted in horror. God, I will never forget his face. I stood by the registers. It's been at least an hour, and I know I need to call the police, but there's a huge part of me that doesn't. I mean, it was an accident. I was scared. God, what will they do to me? That's when I hear someone pull up outside. I frown but crouch down and peer outside. Not now, I scream silently. Please, God, not right now. It's Miss Keller. She's pulled all the way up onto the curb and just a few inches shy of the front door. She's already to the front door before I realized it may not be locked. I dive for it, but it's a half a second too late. But she doesn't reach for the handle. Instead, she's scratching at the door. She's staring at me and I don't know what to do. There's something off about her, just like the man from before. She's clawing at the glass, staring with those squirming, dead eyes. She's not coming in, but how long 
people that last? If I call the police, who would believe me? In our next campfire tale, we come into the lives of a mother and a daughter left alone to fend for themselves in everyday life. Since all of this has happened, young Kate has understandably been having night terrors. And as much as any parent can love their child, we can grow irritated or dismissive. But sometimes you should listen to your child. In this tale I like to call, There's Something in My Daughter's Room. Mommy? I jump as I'm ripped from a nice dream. It was another one of those dreams where I could physically feel myself floating. I haven't had a levitation dream in quite some time. I can't remember when I started having them, but they always gave me this profound sense of peace. Like I had control over everything. It takes a minute for my eyes to adjust to the small, shadowy figure next to my bed. I sit up, rubbing at my eyes. Yes, baby? It's back again. I sigh, pulling back the blankets to get out of bed. Honey, we've been over this. There are no such things as monsters. I hear her little sniffles and gasps. I feel for her. When I was her age, I used to see shadows or hear strange noises too. The only monsters that ever really existed in my life though, were people. I wrap my hands around her small shoulders and guide her back down the hall to her room. It looks the same as it always does, tidy with soft blues and greens. Kate had always been a fan of the ocean. She was oddly grown for her age. Instead of plastering cartoon images or, you know, popular kid shows, she wanted white sheer curtains. She wanted calming blue paint and a gorgeous blue-green comforter, which even I was envious of from time to time. Truth be told, I was downright envious of her room. The only thing that gave away her age was a single stuffed animal she kept on the bed. It was a white seal with shimmering turquoise eyes. It was because of all of this that it struck me as odd when she started seeing it. Kate wasn't really one to make up stories or lie. As a matter of fact, she wanted to be a marine biologist and would talk my ear off about global warming and its effects on sea life. As I said, she's surprisingly grown for her age. 
But here lately, there's one thing she keeps insisting on. The thing outside of her window. I've never once seen it. But I suspect it's probably the large oak tree in our front yard. She's described it as a long, tall creature with spindly claws, rows and rows of teeth, and thin, rubbery skin. Well, her exact words were dolphin skin. I think it's just her not wanting to admit it's an overactive imagination, especially after watching her Blue Planet shows. There's a long, drawn-out brush against the window as if on cue. It taps a few times, then brushes before repeating the sounds. I lean down and pull up the blinds. Kate stands back, staring blankly at me. See? I offer, smiling warmly up at her. It's just the tree outside brushing against the window. She hugs herself and shakes her head. No, that wasn't it. She sounds very sure of herself, enough that it gives me pause. Last time she seemed hesitant as if maybe she thought it was just her imagination. Tonight, her tone was the sort that made you listen. I try a different approach. Okay, honey, how do you know that the tree wasn't it? Her bottom lip trembles as she starts running her hands up and down her arms. Because it spoke to me from beside my bed. I nod and tuck her hair behind her ear. What did it say? Her brown eyes sharpen as they bore into mine. That you aren't my real mom. I start blinking a few times. My hand is frozen in midair. My throat goes dry, but finally my voice sounds. Honey, that is not true. Not at all. You are my little girl. I pull her close to me, stroking the back of her head. I love you so much, baby. I'd managed to calm her down and we were tucking her into bed. Her eyes have definitely changed. They've softened as I pull the blankets up to just under her chin. She doesn't cry. She never does, but she seems sad somehow. Mommy, why don't I have a daddy? Her words hit me like a ton of bricks. I knew they'd come someday, but not this soon. I'm really not sure how to answer it, but the truth would tear her apart. She may be exceptionally bright, but she's equally human. Sometimes a little lie is for the best. Rape isn't something you tell your daughter about, especially since she was the product from it. 
I smile down at her. Of course you have a daddy, honey. Remember where Leo went? She nods. Well, daddy is there too. Leo had been her pet kitty. We'd barely had him for six months when he'd passed away. We'd both found him lying next to the window, cold. It was so sudden and there were no signs of anything harming him. It was definitely bizarre, but I always chalked it up to some heart condition or lung failure. He was, after all, just a kitten. That day, I'd calmly explained to her that when we all die, we go to a different place, a better one. Her next sentence chills me to the bone. Can I go there? While I know lies aren't the best strategies, I thought this one may have helped ease her pain, you know? No, Kate. It's a place meant for taking souls once they're ready to go. When it's their time. She purses her lips and turns her head to the side. What if it is my time and I want to go? Can I go then? I'm appalled at her question. She's five, for Christ's sake. No, Kate, it's a different kind of existence. What kind? She shoots back. The kind that isn't meant for little girls, I counter. This makes her quiet, but she turns away. I'm not sure why she's so moody tonight, but... I can sense there's a lot more than what she's letting on. We both sit awkwardly, unsure of how to be after our spat. Kate, just listen. I love you very, very much. I only want what's the best for you. Please, just trust me, okay? How am I supposed to trust you when you're lying to me? I blink in shock. I want to be mad, but she's right and I know that she is. I deflate a bit and reach for her hand. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to help. She smiles at me and wraps her tiny arms around my waist. It's okay, mommy. I forgive you. She lays back down and I pet her head until she's fast asleep. I stand to leave and then freeze. I can't place it, but the feeling in the room has changed. Something isn't right with the wall next to the window. I stare hard at it, searching the clear, bluish surface. Something isn't right. 
it's just not right. The hairs on my arm and neck stand on end. Every molecule in my body is screaming to run away. My feet are glued to the rug. I watch in horror as small, hair-like shadows wriggle on the surface. The shadows dart from the wall to the window, and suddenly, it's gone. I stay there, staring for a long, long time. It knows that you saw it, Mommy. I jump and turn toward the doorway in the kitchen. Jesus, Kate, I say crossly. You scared me. She stares blankly at me with that unnerving, cold stare. Her eyes are a deep brown, almost black. Today they look darker than usual. What does? I ask as I walk over to her. C'est tak, she says matter-of-factly. C'est tak I repeat. Who's that? She crosses over to the table and sits down. My friend. I stare at her, feeling very concerned. I've heard of this. Children making up imaginary friends. This whole thing had me really shaken up. I'm still struggling with what I saw last night. The only thing I can think is that it was a trick of shadows, or maybe me just being tired. It's creepy enough that I don't want to talk about it anymore. Honey, I don't want you to talk to it anymore, okay? She jerks her head toward me. Why? I set her cereal in front of her and then sit at the table. I thought you said it was a monster. You shouldn't talk to monsters. It's a pretty silly thing for an adult to say, but it's what I think she will buy. I don't like how this thing has suddenly taken hold of her. Oh, that, she says, spooning in a big mouthful of cereal. He's okay. I wait for her to say more about it, but she remains quiet, happily downing her breakfast. Everything goes by fairly uneventful that day. After dropping off Kate, I managed to get in a ton of work at the office. I'm feeling pretty good when I roll up to Kate's school. I frown when I don't see her in her usual spot. I sit for several moments when Kate's teacher walks up. I roll down the window and call out. Hey, is Kate inside? I don't miss the frown that's quickly covered with a nervous smile. No, she trails off, looking at the back of the car. Miss Smith, Kate wasn't in class today. I'm instantly thrown into panic mode. What do you mean she wasn't here? I dropped her off this morning. She shakes her head. She never came in. I thought she was just sick today. I quickly thank her. 
throw the car in a drive and hit the gas. I'm barely in the driveway when I kill the engine and leap out. I struggle with the front door, the keys fighting me every step of the way. Finally, it bursts open. There she is, sitting in the middle of the floor. She smiles up at me and waves. Hi, Mommy. I'm on the ground, hugging her and crying. I'm on the edge of hysterical, hugging her close. After several moments, I pull back and look down at her. Kate, why are you here? I took you to school today. Your teacher said that you never came to class. She looks puzzled and then nods her head. Yeah, I didn't want to. I put my hand under her chin and firmly bring her face toward me. Kate, why didn't you go to class after I dropped you off? Her eyes are black all the way to the edges. I wanted to play with my friend. I let go of her face, slowly stepping back. Her voice had changed mid-sentence to a deep, menacing rasp. She turns and stares down the hall. In seconds, she's on her feet and then running toward her room. I'm torn, not sure if I should wait or follow. I've never been more afraid of anything in my life. She's my daughter. I should want to protect her. Instead, I find myself wanting to torch the entire house and run away. In the end, maternal instincts kick in and I get to my feet. I'm startled at how dark it's become outside. How long had I been there, staring down that long, dark hallway? Mommy! Her yelling is loud and high-pitched. It's desperate. All the hesitation is gone. I'm hurtling myself down the hallway, praying that I make it there in time. I grab the handle and twist. To my surprise, it's locked. I shove into it, throwing all of my weight. In tears, I'm ramming and shoving the door as hard as I can. Her screams fill the air over and over as I kick and punch, claw, try to get into the room. Finally, whatever was keeping it closed, release the door. It swings inward. I move, frantically searching the room. When I spot them, the only movements are her feet poking out at the foot of the bed. Still. Twitching. 
I run into the room and grasp her legs, pulling as hard as I can. Something tugs back, harder. I tug frantically, trying to save my little girl. When a loud, bone-crunching sound fills the air. I scream in horror as blood pools around her small frame. She goes completely still. I shake my head back and forth, my hands covering my mouth. The blood soaks into my pants, drenching them in her blood, my little girl's blood. I scoot away and then rock back and forth, squeezing my eyes shut. It's the only noise I can make. I nearly jump out of my skin when I feel the soft touch caress my arm. A dream. Oh God, it was a dream. Kate is fine. Everything is going to be okay. I grin and open my eyes. I can't wait to wrap my arms around my little girl. My sweet, beautiful little girl. Instead, I'm greeted with the small, headless frame of Kate in front of me. A few meaty chunks spill from the opening of her neck out of the gory wound, thin Spider-like tendrils slither out. Everything is fine, mommy, the appendages say softly. Just try to stay very still. Numb, I sit, calmly allowing the black to wrap around my arms and head. Yes, I agree. Everything will be just fine. Our last and final tale is one that was picked by all of you. A classic campfire tale told by many generations in different ways. So without further ado, let's listen to the tale of Don't Turn on the Lights. Jenna and Maddie were in their freshman year of college and excited to be able to be in the same room together. They'd gone through orientation together and quickly became friends. So much so that Maddie knew Jenna liked to be left alone in the evenings to her studies. Even though Jenna's scores were way higher than probably over half of the school, she still insisted on studying every night. Maddie, on the other hand, well, let's just say late night cram sessions weren't abnormal. And so, yet again, Maddie's studying into the wee hours of the morning. It was 2 a.m. when suddenly 
Maddie realized she'd left one of her books up in Jenna's room. Maddie knew Jenna had long gone to bed. She was a stickler for getting eight hours of sleep before a test. Keeping that in mind, she carefully opened the door and pulled it shut so the light from the hall didn't spill into her room. It was dark, but she managed to fumble her way around until she grasped her textbook on the desk. She stifled a laugh as she heard Jenna's heavy breathing from across the room. She tiptoed out as she heard Jenna thrashing and slightly moaning in her sleep. She was probably having a bad dream. Jenna had those sometimes. She'd even heard Jenna scream once. So thinking nothing of it, she walked back down the hall turned off the lights, and went downstairs to finish her cram session. Maddie's alarm went off, and she sighed as she pulled herself out of bed. It had been a really nice dream. She'd left herself just enough time to run downstairs, grab breakfast, and head out. she just finished her slice of toast, when as she was going out the door, she frowned. Jenna's bag was still by the front door. There's no way she would have left it there before a test. This was the first time Jenna had slept in. Maddie rushed back to her room to wake her up. Maybe Jenna could still get to her test in time. She'd knocked on the door a few times before deciding to go ahead and open it. Jenna might have just been really out. The door swung open and Maddie froze. Jenna's cold, dead eyes stared at the ceiling in horror. Her throat had been slit from ear to ear. And on the wall, written in Jenna's blood, were the words, Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights? And so concludes our campfire stories here at Camp Crystal Cove. We encourage you to swiftly walk back to your cabins and try not to look back at the woods. You never know what could be staring back. Join us next time for more Crystal Cove Campfire Tales. And as always, from the deepest part of my heart, I wish you pleasant dreams. <laughs>